Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is the Cement Solcast, and I am Cement Sol. In this podcast, we look at wargaming systems on a first impressions basis. This usually means that I have not yet thoroughly played the particular system that I want to talk about. And this is the case for tonight's system. This is the case for Oathmark. Oathmark I have played exactly one game of. I have played that game of Oathmark about three hours ago now. So it was my learning game, it was at 1500 points, on a 6x4 table with roughly 100 models total being fielded. Now for those who do not know, Oathmark is a system by Joe McCullough. It is a rank and flank system as they call it, which means it is aiming to simulate classical warfare, which happens to involve a lot of units uh, ranked up in rank and file, and a lot of flanking tactics. Now, Oathmark is firmly set within the fantasy context, but it is also quite firmly removed from something like Warhammer Fantasy in that it is not representing artillery or black powder. Not representing them explicitly, I'm sure people will still feel their cannons, especially if they're like me and playing dwarfs. Now, Oathmark is a Joe McCullough system, so it does hold a lot of similarities with Joe's other stuff, mainly Frostgrave, but most pertinently at this moment to the Silver Bayonet. That is because the Oathmark, rather Oathmark, works off D10s. To play Oathmark, you'll need, uh, I'd say, 5 D10s, according to the person I played with, I played with, uh, we'll call him Simon, that's his actual name. Simon is someone I've played Frostgrave with quite extensively. I played a Frostgrave with him across two campaigns. He's quite big on the Joe McCullough systems. We're probably going to play Stargrave in the future. So according to Simon, sometimes the dice you need, the tens you need, will hit six. If you're fielding cavalry and you hit a unit from the flank. In our game, this was not the case, neither of us had cavalry per se, so most of the time we were rolling 5, 4, or 3 d10s. Now, using these d10 rolls, you will try to hit target numbers, much like in the Silver Bayonet, and these target numbers uh, shift around considerably because of the modifiers involved in the situations you put your models in. But we'll talk about those a little bit later. For now, I want to focus on the initial aspect of getting into Oathmark, which is the army construction. Because I do think this is one of the stronger aspects of the system. The way the army assembly works is that you first construct a city. Rather, you first construct a kingdom. The main capital of your kingdom influences your, basically your core units. These are the units that you will be able to stake the most consistently, because they will be close to the heart of your kingdom. This all ties into how the campaign works, by the way. If you're playing one-off, this doesn't apply. Which is interesting, because that means that the system from the ground up was designed with a campaign in mind. 
from a list construction you're already playing with the campaign systems. So as you fan out, now this is quite difficult to articulate with just words because it is a very visual sort of arrangement the way you build your kingdom. You put your capital in the middle and it is surrounded by two more regions, your core regions, and then you have three more regions on top of those, one layer of three regions on top of the two regions, and then one more layer of four regions on top of the three regions. Now the regions you put down as you fan out, they let you draw from the other factions the further you get away from your capital. So you have your four rings, right? You have your central ring, which determines your capital. You have your second ring, which determines probably your core units. And from the third and the fourth ring, that's when it gets a bit more interesting because you can start drawing. For example, if you're a dwarf capital, you can maybe draw from the human unit lists instead around the third or the fourth ring. And now again, there is a reason why those like multi-class quote-unquote choices are on the third and the fourth rings, and that is tied into the campaign. It's interesting because if you're playing one off, you will never feel the disadvantages of having these non-core units around your fourth ring of your kingdom. So what that all translates to is a army building system that lets you mix and match quite a variety of units in a way that you can play around with so that it can represent the creative idea of a specific kind of army. For example, my own dwarf army is built off a core of the GW Battle for Skullpaz Dwarf Warriors. I have supplemented them with the animated stone units from the Bane of Kings expansion. So visually, it looks like the dwarves are backed up by steel colossi, which I am very happy with from a artistic standpoint. And it can be quite flexible because you can, say, play an orc army and maybe take the human region that gives you giants and you can feel like maybe a giant troll or maybe you want to play a human army and then you can take something from the undead faction and then theme your guys as kind of necromancer adjacent without fully committing to the necromancer mechanics it's a it's a very cities of sigmar kind of thing the the interswapability of it all if you aren't familiar with aos you probably won't get that reference but what I'm saying is it's very flexible if you are willing to do some subbing in and to do some counts as not just on a model level but on a thematic level. For example, a dwarf chariot could probably be a gyrocopter. A dragon could probably be a griffin. If you're willing to be flexible with that, you can do a lot with Oathmark. And that's why I think the army building aspect of it is the strongest part of the design because a it's flexible it can let you really flex your own vision in terms of what the army composition is like and b it ties in so firmly with the campaign and this is a joba color system so of course the campaign is a big focus So now we will be talking about campaign systems a bit. We'll, we'll be skipping the combat for now. We'll, we'll leave the combat for last. 
we'll look at the campaign because the campaign is doing some interesting things here because this is an army scale game that is built off a campaign. You do not see a lot of those at all. There are some good efforts from Games Workshop in particular comes to mind with their 40k division doing the Crusade rules. Those, those are quite good, especially compared to the Path of Glory rules from Age of Sigmar, which are, which are quite bad. I don't want to neg too much on systems on this show on my channel, but man, the Path of Glory rules for Age of Sigmar. So half-assed, man. So half-assed. Now, the way Oathmark chooses to tackle the initial and like most glaring issue with campaign play, which is the eventual shift in balance towards a snowballing effect of one player just getting a head start and not losing that head start across a campaign. The way Oathmark chooses to handle that is by having the penalties dealt out in very small quantities. The penalties and the bonuses, rather. Now, this will not fix the issue, the snowballing issue, I believe. It will not fix the runaway leader issue because while these bonuses and penalties are quite small, they can be pretty devastating under the right circumstances. These penalties and these bonuses, they tie in directly to that, that Kingdom Ring system I was talking about in the army construction phase. Because, for example, losing a battle could have it so one of your regions in one of your kingdom's rings gets occupied. For example, you get your maybe your dwarf city occupied. You maybe put your dwarf city out on your fourth ring. When your dwarf city is occupied, all the units associated with that region then get a debuff during the game proper. On the alternate side, when you're instead getting a boon from winning something in the campaign, you will add a region to the fifth layer of the city, of the kingdom rather. And these, especially the ones in the expansions, give you special bonuses to your units. But we'll not touch on the expansion stuff for now, let's keep to the main book. Now, this system runs as you go back and forth across the players in the campaign. They start occupying regions after scenarios determined by who wins and who doesn't. And eventually they move inwards towards the capital of your kingdom. And when your capital is occupied, you are defeated. From what I am reading, I guess players just keep going up until one player knocks everyone else out, which in my opinion is not a particularly creative way to end a campaign. But it will also take a long time for a player to get totally defeated in that fashion, I believe. So we're looking at another case as in the Silver Bayonet where there just isn't a solid endpoint to this campaign. Which is quite strange to me because Frostgrave, uh, Ghost Archipelago, they both had rock-solid endings to their campaign, like really far-out endings, but still achievable ones. Now you could of course homebrew your own finish to the campaign, that's what we've done for the one we're in right now. At a certain point, after I believe three months, four months, it'll come to a head and every fortnight we get to do one special scenario, etc, etc. But it would be nice to have that sort of thing just built into the book. Now this is, of course, addressed in the expansion packs, which add a bit more to the campaign play. 
quite a bit more actually. But we'll get to those uh, later on, maybe when I do a full review. Right now I just want to talk about the vanilla book. We've now gotten the army building and the campaign down. So what I want to look at now is of course the main game of Oathmark, the on-table phase, the bit where you push the models around and try to bash each other in the face. Now, here's the thing with Oathmark. Oathmark is a toothy game. Joe McCullough systems, they look quite friendly. The way they're laid out, it's very approachable because the, the, the fonts are so large, there's so much allocation per page given to the words that it, it doesn't overwhelm you when you're looking through them. But the thing with Oatmark is it is a rank and flank mass battle kind of game, and those tend to be quite crunchy. Now, I wouldn't call Oathmark in particular crunchy, the math isn't that complicated. Like, for most war games, the math actually isn't that complicated. But it is what I would call fiddly. There's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of steps to everything that has combat involved in it, and there are a lot of numbers to remember, to keep in mind. Now, I'm not gonna run you through how to play Oathmark, because frankly, I find the concept of making any sort of how to play for Oathmark quite exhausting, but I will address the target number system. Because Oathmark works off a lot of modifiers. So when you're smashing two units together, just like front to front, most of the time you will not have any modifiers at all, so you're just rolling an equivalent number of d6s, rather an equivalent number of d10s, to the front rank. So most of the time that will be 5 dice. So it's going to be 5 dice against 5 dice unmodified. Now what unmodified usually means is that it's just the target's defense number less the attacker's offense number. Sometimes you're going to have traits that will further influence the role. This can happen through either removing dice completely or adding on additional modifiers to the target number. So you're looking at two things here. You're looking at the number of dice and you are looking at the target number of those number of dice. That target number can be influenced by a hard plus minus. It can be influenced by an increase in either the fighting statistic of the attacker or the defensive statistic of the defender. When it comes to flanking, it's also influenced there, but the big thing with flanking is that the defender gets way less dice to roll in the first place. So what happens is you have this system wherein you touch the units together, you pick up your dice, you determine how many of those dice go away, you toss the bones, and then you figure out which ones have hit because of the circumstances. And as is with most of Joe's systems, there is a lot of plus minus ones going on here. It is something that will be a little bit difficult for somebody not familiar with this kind of gaming, because there is just a lot of moving parts to it. Champions, for example, they roll a different kind of dice. And just with the target numbers in particular, if you hit a certain difference threshold versus a target number, it increases the number of hits. And that all adds up to something that can be a little tricky to just keep in your head. But I'm also sure if you play it a lot, it will come a lot more naturally. <laughs> 
Now, besides all the rolling of the dice, there is also, of course, the moving of the models, which is arguably the more important part of these Red and Flank games. Oathmark does have the traditional rank and flank granularity when it comes to these movements. One does not simply move models in Oathmark, one has to wheel them, one has to pivot them, there's differences between moving backwards, moving sidewards, etc, etc. It is just how these kinds of games work, and a lot of the fun and the strategy involved is tied to the granularity of movement. Now, I do think Oathmark has made it a lot more streamlined, especially in regards to the the pivoting and the wheeling in particular, because you can just wheel and pivot as far as you can go, as far as I can tell. So that means you don't have to measure angles most of the time, but you still get all the nice complexity that that kind of movement gives you. And it is also worth mentioning that Oathmark is alternating activations with a command and control system like Frostgrave that lets specific command units give adjacent units the ability to leapfrog the initiative, so to speak. Now, if it were just straight up alternating activations, I think that would hurt it quite a bit in terms of the strategy, but because of that command and control there is a very nice layer of coordinated movement going on if you are positioning properly, which should be the way it rewards you for positioning properly. So the first game I played at 1.5k took about 3 hours, and it was a learning game of course, so I was being walked through it, picking things up as I went along, and it was quite a close game, which is good. One thing you'll notice playing this coming from something like Age of Sigmar is the very low lethality, which was something that Warhammer Fantasy, at least 6th edition Warhammer Fantasy, also shared. When a unit is shot at by a big block of archers, and that unit is a little bit defensive, such as the, the dwarf warriors that I fielded, you can expect to lose maybe one, maybe two, if you're really unlucky, maybe three. Because at most, the other guy is rolling 5 dice, because that's the only rank they have, up, they have up front. So, rank and flank games like this, they're usually very good for people who want the models to spend a long time on the table. Because models just don't get wiped off the board, as you see in modern 40k and Age of Sigmar. For me personally, that's a big factor that leads to my enjoyment of these particular games, these rank and flank games. They move slower, they're more deliberate, they encourage you to think multiple turns ahead, and they let your model stay on the table much longer. Like my Colossus, for example, stayed on the table for the entire game. He took one point of health damage as Simon danced his troops around him. He dealt quite a few blows, he wiped the unit all by himself. He had his own little story play out across those eight turns. I lost the game, by the way, for people who are curious, but it was a hell of a game. A hell of a game for the first one I played as well. Because it was a defensive one, I, en I ended up being the defensive player, which is appropriate for dwarves. Which means I had to sit on the Oathmarks. See, Oathmarks are actual things in the game. They're the, the de facto objectives of the game. And they, they need to be terrain pieces, which is very clever. Because it removes the, the abstraction layer of plopping down like an objective marker. 
So I had to hold those three objectives, I had to hold two of them, rather I had to stop the opponent from getting two of them, and I held out all the way to the middle of the last turn, which was very satisfying. I had all of like 12 dwarves at the end of it, and my two steel colossi, my animate idol and my colossus. Yeah, I had a real good time. But while I did have a good time, I think it bears mentioning that there are some pretty serious layout issues with this book. With the, the main Oathmark book. Like, it's not just me either. Uh, Simon was saying that he felt the editing was just not up to par. And I do agree. Like, there is... I've been linking this page to all my friends while I've been learning the system. On page 76 of the core book, the Create a Kingdom page, that is just a solid block of text. And I have been making this inside joke amongst my circle that Joe McCullough games, rather Osprey games, they have a tendency to look like undergraduate theses because they're, they're, they don't do the double columns that some other rule books do. They're just one line of text down the middle. And that, that does make them friendly and readable and it doesn't make them look intimidating. But oh my gosh, here on page 76, it is just words. And this is such an important part of the game. Like that whole thing I did at the start about the kingdoms, that probably sounded super abstract listening to this podcast. Well, that's just about how it reads as well. It does not make sense up until you have the kingdom sheet in front of you. And you're like putting down the kingdoms. That's when it really clicks into place. At least for me. This really needed a diagram, man, just to, just to break it up. And you're like sinking half a page onto a drawing of a, of a bow and arrow. You, you could have put a diagram here, guys, come on. And some of the uh, the, the morale, for example, it's, it's quite strange. It does a plus-minus modifier thing. But, yeah, as I was being taught it, I was told to not follow what the book was saying and instead... Do the opposite, so instead of minus, you you add, because it's a target number, right? You roll your d10s, and if one of them hits a target number, you're fine. But, but it's like increasing the target number if you have ranks, it, and it's decreasing it if you're disordered. That, that, that doesn't quite make sense there. Yeah, because you're looking to meet or beat, but you're also getting a minus one for disordered, so you're making the morale test easier for when you're disordered. I'm sure this has been addressed in an errata or something, but this is a pretty glaring mistake for a print book. And Othmark is a it's a it's a big book. It's a 200 pages. The the hardcover copy is a very impressive visually. And Simon was telling me there was some other bits of fiddliness that they dredged out because they played way more than I have at this point. They've already been playing for three weeks, so I've joined a little bit late. But yeah, now I am. There's a, there's a massive bug on my mic. One moment. Get off the mic, please. Thank you. But yeah, I am looking to catch up. I want to get at least five games in. That should inform a review pretty thoroughly. Because five games of Oathmark is a lot of time spent playing Oathmark. I will play with my dwarves predominantly here. I might take my goblins out for a spin. I do have way more than enough goblins to play them in Oathmark. But I kinda also want to stick to the one army, so I get all the progression stuff and really get a feel for it. Oh, and when I do my review for Oathmark, how do I uh, illustrate the rolling? That is gonna be such a chore to make, because what I'm thinking of doing is 
separating out the mechanics review, the, the mechanics portion of the review into tutorials, right? So within the body of the review proper, I can just say, go watch the tutorial. Because uh, the mechanics part, they, they jack up the time. I'd rather the reviews be around 11 minutes. It's easier for people to click on. and It's also easier for me to make. But that is really hard to hit if I keep the, the mechanics tutorials within the reviews. And man, Oathmark has a lot of mechanics, man. I, I don't think I can stress enough how friendly this book looks compared to how toothy the actual system is. It's more streamlined, but, but it is nearing Warhammer Fantasy levels, I think. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There is a lot of fun to be squeezed out of granularity. I do realize the, the current zeitgeist involves having systems be simpler. But there is room there for narrative to live in, in the complexity. And that is something Warhammer is very good at. We will hopefully at some point get to discussing classic Warhammer. Because there is so much to learn from classic Warhammer. But yes, that is today's episode. I did not have any drinks today, if you have not noticed. We'll try and remedy that for the next one. I think I am going to make the next one a, a weasel system. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't covered the weasel system yet either. I might do KPS. I'm really curious about KPS. And for anybody interested, I have put out a Turnip28 solo mod for the Silver Bayonet. You can find the video on the YouTube channel. I should maybe web make a website. Oh, God, that's even more money to spend. But yes, I worked a lot on that mod. Probably way too much. But I'm quite happy with the system I've made. Not super happy with the PDF yet. I need to tighten that up. But that is something for people curious about Turnip28 or looking to play more. Silver Bayonet Solo. But for today, that will be us. A bit of a... Hello, hello, this is Saul from uh, two days later, three days later, and I have just gone through the big uh, Oathmark Saturday. Well, it didn't end up super big, there were four of us. And I had my second game, which went so much more smoothly because I had played the learning game prior and I had read up on the rules much more intensively as well. And yeah, I'm pretty much a mark for Oathmark now. This game is good. Once you figure out the logistics of like your markers uh, when you activate, it can end up making the game real tidy. And it also helps that I run a very low model count army. I run dwarves. Pro tip if you want to run less than 50 models, field dwarves and take uh, cannons and take the animate stone from Bane of Kings, you will run out of points real fast. But yeah, I can pretty safely say I am going to cover this because it is worth talking about. It is one of the modern systems attempting to cover rank and flank, and that is absolutely worth looking at. Uh, for anybody curious, my second game was a stomp. It was a the river crossing scenario. We ended up using, because uh, I was playing William, who usually runs these things, these uh, Joe McCullough system campaigns. He works at a laser cutting plant, laser cutting facility, so he has access to their very high powered laser cutters. So he'd laser cut himself a bridge, just like on the off chance we also rolled the bridge scenario. So he was plenty happy to plop down his new bridge, lay down a river, and play the scenario. Now I did win the roll off, and that did translate to me defending. And when you're running dwarves in Oathmark, 
you have access to some pretty crazy guns and some well tough models. That is to say, well, let's just say I lost three dwarves for the whole game. And this is a 1500 point game. It involved 56 models on my side, uh, probably around 80 models on his side. So yeah, that was a little bit ugly there. I ju just gotta say it is, it's a good feeling when you're trying to use like traditional wartime tactics and they're actually working. Because if you, if you do something like that with Age of Sigmar, like Age of Sigmar will try to wiggle out of the Sun Tzu art of war state of mind very, very hard. Age of Sigmar is certainly a game. But that's gonna be it for me, a bit of a temporal leap there. I can confirm that we will be covering Oathmark in the future now because I will be dedicating some time to painting up the models. I probably won't document it because I just want to paint. You know, it's nice just having the time to yourself to paint and not have to shoot it. So I think I'll make Oathmark my thing for that. Now earlier in the podcast I did say I did not want to make a tutorial, but I think I'm more confident in it now. Give me like six more games and I should be able to articulate that way more clearly. Anyway, this is Cement Saul. We have gone a little bit long on this one, I can tell. That is Oathmark. Look forward to Oathmark. I like Oathmark. I play Oathmark now. It is a system for my dwarves to live in. I am very happy with it. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Until next time.